Thank you, choir, orchestra. Steve came in before the uh, service and said, I'm going to start a little bit early because I'm long, and he quit short. <laughs> Steve, are you working part-time today? <laughs> I thought that was an Allstate commercial when I first saw it, but I, I guess it isn't. There was a Christian woman who had cancer. She went to the hospital to be treated. And people from the church came to see her. After a while, she began placing them in categories because there were categories of comfort that were offered to her. She said there was a deacon and others who came and suggested to her the reason she had cancer was because of some sin in her life. And if she confessed her sin, then God would heal her of uh, the cancer that she had. She said there was another lady and subsequent people who came, and she referred to them as being cheerleaders for the sick. And they would not allow her to speak about the disease she was battling, instead saying God doesn't want you to be sick. It is not God's will for you to be sick, and therefore they would not talk about it. There was a spiritual man, she said, who came and said, just begin to praise God and after a while you will begin to thank God for the cancer you have. She said the pastor came by and he said, God has given you cancer so that you might be a blessing to someone else who has cancer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Now obviously, we don't have adequate answers for that because we're all over the page trying to answer why bad things happen. David Hume, the 18th century agnostic philosopher wrote, if God is able to take hurt away but is not willing, he is a malevolent evil God. If God is willing but he is not able, he is a weak impotent. God. If he's both willing and able, why doesn't he do something about it? We can deal with the subject of why because I know that there are some who answer that question by saying, well, there are no good people. So when you ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is, well, there are no good people. I understand what they mean because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're not really going to focus in that area today, but where I do want us to look is when bad things happen, how do we respond? We're going to look at a fascinating passage of Scripture today. It was a very difficult time, a terrible time. Samaria was besieged by Syria. Supplies were cut off. The times were bad. Famine was rampant. According to the Bible, both man and animal were dying because of a lack of food. It is said that only two horses were left in the entire city. Inflation was a problem. The scripture tells us that during this time, food was so scarce that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels, about $50. In other words, the best that one could expect if one had any money was donkey head soup. 
cannibalism was being practiced. People were actually, some people were actually eating their own children. Now, because of the conditions of the time, there was great depression in the people. And certainly we could understand that the, the leadership felt helpless. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 6, And as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? So the people were so depressed and the leaders felt so helpless when this woman cried out to the king and said, Can you help me? Can you do something? He said, How am I going to help you? If God doesn't do something, there's nothing I can do. They became somewhat cynical because when it was announced that help was coming, they didn't believe that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 7. We'll begin reading in verse number 3 as we see this fascinating story. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied, and the tents just as they were. And the gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household. Then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall capture them alive and get into the city. All right, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we begin by evaluating the circumstances. The circumstances were bad, so the question is, how do we respond to it? 
When circumstances are bad, we have to ask the question, how do we respond? That's what they did in verse 3. There were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? In other words, the first consideration they had in light of their circumstances is that we can do nothing. We can sit and die. We can do nothing. I mean, that's the easiest response in the short term. When the circumstances are bad, the easiest thing to do is to do nothing. And after all, what could four lepers do? I mean, if the king had said, if God doesn't help you, what can I do? Then what can four leprous men do? So the first consideration was, well, we can do nothing. The circumstances are so bad, they are so great, there's nothing I can do. What can four lepers do? You know, as I read that passage of Scripture and considered what it was saying, I I think oftentimes that is the church's response when we evaluate difficult times. When we look at times that are threatening to us, the response far too often from the church is to do nothing. For instance, today we complain that people are not responsive to the gospel. Oh, there was a time when there were revival meetings and people got saved. There were times when lives were changed and revivals swept across the land, but not today. People are not responsive today. They don't listen to the gospel. They don't believe in the word of God, the scripture, those things. And so the church concludes then to do nothing. People are not responsive. But the truth is, we don't know if they're responsive because most of us never share Jesus with another person. We never talk to someone about the Lord. Someone has said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and failed. It has not been tried. But you see, we look around today and, and I hear so often when people say that people are not responsive to the gospel anymore. But my question would be, have you decided to do nothing and not share the gospel? There are many churches who look to the circumstances in which they find themselves and conclude that they can do nothing because they can't afford it. What are we going to do? We don't have the money. We, we can't afford to do what we need to do. There was a time in the history of Israel when they needed to build a temple, but they concluded that they didn't have the money to do it. It wasn't the time. So in Haggai chapter 1 verse 2, this people says the time has not come even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. At that time in the history of Israel, they needed to do this. It was time to do it, but they looked at themselves and said, this is not the time. This is not the time. We don't have the money. You know, folks, I, I wonder how many opportunities we have missed and how many opportunities will we miss because we look at our own inability rather than at the ability of God. Our focus being on our lack of resources rather than the abundance of God. And so we conclude as a church oftentimes, there's nothing we can do, we sit and die. 
Isn't that also true with individuals that we look at the time in which we live, we look at the days in which we live, and yes, they are challenging. In my mind, they're more challenging than they have been since I have been alive. They are challenging times, but as individuals, we resign ourselves to the times and decide that we will sit and die, we will do nothing. We complain about the politicians. We complain about the corrupt system. We complain about a lack of action that comes from our government and so forth, and so we don't become involved. I understand why. Because we know if we become involved that we're going to be criticized. No matter what position you take, you know that if you become involved, you're going to be criticized, and today you will probably come under attack. There are some pastors that have been praying for, and they have met with the president to pray for him. And then there were some pastors in North Carolina who came out and said that what they were doing was bordering on heresy. I understand the political implications that are involved. I understand that. But my heavens, are we not supposed to be praying for those in positions of leadership according to Scripture? But you see, it's easier for us to do nothing because we know that we will be criticized. What about education? We do a lot of complaining about the education system, but are you involved in making it better? It's easier to complain and do nothing than it is to do something to make things better. So we just decide to sit and die. We complain about the morals or the lack of morality in our society. But are you involved in raising them? I'm, I'm blown away as some of the things happen. Are you involved in making things better? Jesus said in addressing this that you and I are to be salt. In the first century, salt was a preservative. So what he is saying to us is that you live in a corrupt society and you are to be a preservative. He said that we are to be light, recognizing that we live in a world of spiritual darkness and he says to us that we are to be light. In fact, that is emphatic when Jesus stated it meaning that you and you alone are the salt. There is no other preservative. You and you alone are the light. There is no other spiritual light. It is you. So we look at our surroundings, we look at our world, and we can conclude that we will do nothing or we can decide to do something. And that was the consideration of these lepers when they said, if we sit here, we are going to die. So they decided that they were going to do something. Folks, to do nothing is costly. To do nothing means we forfeit the values we cherish, the people we love. Therefore, we should do something. I believe it's a challenging time, but I believe that God can st still send revival. Reverend Charles Jackson and I were working out together Monday and we were talking about the great need we have in our country. 
for revival. And he said that he told his people at Brookland last Sunday, revival is not an alternative, but an imperative. See, we can look at all that goes on around us and decide to do nothing, or we can decide to do something. And we can pray for revival. God, send us revival, understanding that it begins with me and it begins with a broken heart. I've read about the revivals that have swept across the land, the Great Awakening. I've read about the Welsh Revival. You know how the Welsh Revival began? There was a youth rally. Students got together and they began to pray and to testify. And the Holy Spirit got in the midst of them. And out of those young people came the Welsh Revival. God can revive our churches. God can revive our land. He can restore our families. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've read that and thought about that this past week. Man, I love that whenever the man comes out and says, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. Every parent here should have that passion about your family that I will not allow Satan to have my family. I'm going to do everything I can to stand for God, to live for God, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We can reclaim America as a godly nation. One of the things that was encouraging to me as I was studying for this that ABC News had reported in the last election there were more evangelical Christians who voted than ever before. You see, we can do nothing. We can look at our circumstances and decide to do nothing, sit and die, or we can decide to do something. We hesitate because we are fearful that we might fail. If you do something, there's a possibility of failure. If you do nothing, it is guaranteed. In verse number four, if we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. In the face of the possibility of failure, they decided to do something. There was the probability that they would be killed. If we leave here and go there, in all likelihood, they are going to kill us. There was the probability of death, but there was the possibility of life. Matthew Henry wrote, If they kill them, better die by the sword than by famine. If we do something, there's a possibility of failure. You know one of the things I love about this church, and there are so many I do love you. There's so many things that I love about this church. And one is that this church has decided we will not do nothing. We will do everything within our power to reach students. Uh, we think today that the students are not responsive to the gospel. Folks, they just want someone to reach out to them and talk to them. We need to be able to do that. 
And I thank the Lord for, for Scott over there who works with our middle school, Philip who works with our high school, Rob who works with our college students, doing everything they can to reach out to students. And we need to do that. We have to do that to reach this generation. I commend you as a church for being willing to invest in a building for students. And it's going to be fabulous. You're going to get to look at it pretty soon. On the 27th of this month, we have our grand opening, the ribbon cutting, whatever it is. We're going to, it's going to, I am so proud of you because there are so many people think, well, that's that old church downtown. You know, they don't care. They're all old and dying. Well, some of us are. Some, all of us are dying, but, but I'm so proud of you that you're willing to invest in students, that you're willing to invest in the generation that is coming up. We can strengthen families. And I'm proud of the young marrieds, the young adults in our church and their commitment to the Lord. They have so much energy and they are passionate about the things of God. I'm so proud of them. We are committed to engaging in mission, sharing the gospel wherever we can, how we can, with whomever we can. Our college students on missions have been to New York City. They've been to Boston. We had a, a group from the... Uh, Builders for Christ just came back from Tennessee. We've started churches. Do you know that this morning in those churches that we started in the past five years, there will be around 1,500 people in the services because of the investment that you made, because of your commitment. We will do something. You see, we evaluate our circumstances, and when we evaluate our circumstances, we decide if we're going to do nothing, sit and die, or we are going to do something. Now then you see in verse number 5, And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. So when they decided that they were going to do something, they went to the camp. When they got there, there was no one there. The Lord had removed them. Now then, all of a sudden there is food that is available, supplies that are available. Everything is there. But then there's a temptation of God's blessings to them, and that is of selfishness. Look at verse number 8. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. So when they got there, they found all the supplies, food, drink, so forth. And the Bible says they indulged themselves. I don't blame them. I would have too. They were starving to death. So there's no problem with that. They, they satisfied their own needs. But then did you notice that they began to hide the rest that they found? They began to hoard the rest as they forgot that back home there are others starving to death. There are others who have needs. So the temptation then is that of selfishness. And folks, you know, God's grace should make us grateful. If you've experienced the grace of God, you should be overwhelmed with gratefulness. But I'm fearful sometimes that what happens is that we become selfish as a result of God's grace to us. And because of that, the wealthiest people are not the most generous people. I remember Bailey Smith saying one time that 
Rich people don't give. God's people give. You know that's true? I know rich people who give because they're God's people. I know poor people who don't give because they're not God's people. Has nothing to do with how much money you have. That's not the issue. It's whether or not we are God's people. So when God blesses us and we've enjoyed the blessings of God, there is the temptation to selfishness and there is the temptation of isolation that we want to withdraw. And that was the temptation of these lepers. Now then all of a sudden their needs are met. So they are tempted to indulge themselves and isolate themselves from the other. Church has always been tempted to that. That we isolate ourselves. That we cut ourselves off from the world because we don't want the world to damage us. And so we protect ourselves from the world and we become monasteries. We practice subtraction rather than multiplication. God blesses us, but rather than being a blessing, so often we choose to isolate ourselves from the very people we should reach out to. We isolate ourselves, are tempted to isolate ourselves, to protect ourselves. When God has called us to storm the gates of hell with the gospel. Well, the temptation was overcome in a little bit. In verse number nine, then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is the day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. The lepers understood, and then they overcame the temptation. Resignation would bring death. We can sit and die. Resignation would bring death. Isolation was wrong. We can't isolate ourselves from the world, but cooperation would bring life. We can bring life to others. They were positive in spirit. They were responsible in action. They decided they would do the right thing. And folks, that takes courage because fear paralyzes us. Fear paralyzes every one of us. If we become the victims of fear, we will be paralyzed and sit and die. Fear paralyzes us, but faith mobilizes us. It is faith that causes us to build. It is faith that causes us to engage the culture. It is faith that causes us to witness. It is faith that sends us into the world with the gospel. They were responsible and they were blessed. Look at verse 8. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes. As they acted in faith, they were blessed. The lepers were blessed. But then they became a blessing. Look at verse number 10. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and they told them saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans. And behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents just as they were. So they share the good news. Now look at verse 16. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel 
and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. They had been paying 80 shekels for a donkey's head, and now then flour is selling for one shekel. They were blessed, and they became a blessing. You and I are blessed, some more than others, by our families. You know, I've I have been blessed with a Christian mother and father who knew the Lord, loved the Lord, and prayed for me. I have been blessed because of them. I have been blessed because of many others, but because of them. A community is blessed when the people of God live as the people of God. That's what these lepers did. Their needs were met, but then they met the needs of others. I remember in the first church I pastored, Dr. Strom, giving his testimony for something we were doing, and I remember him saying that we are to be rivers dispensing the blessings of God, not reservoirs hoarding them. Best example I see almost every year when we go to Israel is the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River runs into it, forms the Sea of Galilee, and then runs out. In the Sea of Galilee, there's fish, life, it's teeming with life. The same river, the Jordan River, runs down to the Dead Sea. There is no outlet. It stays right there. It's dead. Nothing there. You see, it is only as we become the conduit where the blessings of God that we've enjoyed flow to others that we have life. We live in a spiritual famine in our land. How do we respond to it? We can do nothing. We can protect ourselves, sit and die, or we can do something, knowing that there is risk involved. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Esther. Esther had become the queen. It was at a time when the king was giving a decree that all the Jews were to be killed. Esther was a Jew. He didn't know that. Mordecai, her uncle, came to her and he said, Esther, you have to go to the king and get something done. You have to appeal to the king. She said to Mordecai, but if I do, and he does not extend his scepter or does not welcome me, then they would kill me. He said, I know that there is a risk involved, but this is what he said. Who knows, but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Folks, you live in a different time. You live in a challenging time. You live in a different time in our country. But who knows? That God didn't put you here to make a difference in a time such as this. Father, I pray that as we examine our hearts, as your Holy Spirit examines our hearts, that we will commit to doing something 
Lord, that we will be salt, that we will be light in our communities and in our families. And Lord, that we will bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that it might start in this invitation time. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never trusted Christ, I encourage you to. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Hope you'll come. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.